You know, it was July 20th, 1969, that Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked off the lunar module and onto the surface of the moon for the very first time. And echoing through the history books from that day on, you can hear the words from, from Neil Armstrong, that was one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. You know, a few hours before the milestone, was, they were still inside the module. And Buzz Aldrin invited those who were listening to them from every nation to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his or her own way. And then at that moment, the radio waves went silent. And what the people on earth did not realize is that Buzz Aldrin had purposely planned this blackout. Because in that moment, he pulled out of his bag some bread and some, and some wine to take for the very first meal on the moon what was the Last Supper. After he read the gospel from the Gospel of John, he shared in a moment with God, remembering his sacrifice. You know, we're starting a new series today called The Last Supper on the Moon. And over the next several weeks, we're going to take a journey on NASA's 1969 lunar voyage, the fantastic quest to conquer space, and the journey of who Jesus is to us. Looking at the seven miracles that we see found in the Gospel of John, we're going to see the signs that Jesus gave to us through those miracles of who he is to us and what he has for us. It's going to be a journey igniting a greater faith a greater expectation, and tap us into the happiness and experience of life that Jesus has for each of us. You know, this journey that we're going on is derived from preacher Levi Lusco and his book by the same title, The Last Supper on the Moon. And if you're enjoying this, if you want to go a little bit deeper and you enjoy a good book, I encourage you to get a copy of this book and read it through the series. It's an encouragement and it's a, it's a great read and a journey through what was, what was going on and where we see Jesus play in our lives through the miracles in the Gospels of John. You know, it's, it's something that we're just going to uh, touch on the tip of the iceberg through our message series on Sunday mornings. But if you want to go deeper, I encourage you to get that, that book. But you know, we talked about this before. The Hebrew word for blessed can literally be translated as happy. In other words, Jesus' heart and his desire is for every one of us to experience a happy life. And the more we follow him, the more we experience the happiness and joy that he has from us. But I feel sadly, all too often, too many of us are just scratching the surface of the life that God wants you to experience. The blessing that he wants you to have in your life. It's like if you go back and you watch the videos of that 1969 landing on the moon, you look at that grainy black and white video. Hard to see what's really going on. And many of our kids today are thinking, you actually watch TV like that? Because today you have the HD quality stuff. And I think too often in our life and in our journey, we are just scratching the surface of the life that God has for you. It's like we're living life in that grainy black and white TV version when God's like, I got some HD for your life. I got something special for you. You know, the amazing thing, the landing on the moon, the first thing they did 
was they took communion and remembered the sacrifice of Christ. Because that mission, the fight to get to where they were, the sacrifice, the competition that created that moment in history, they could not help but think of the sacrifice and the fight that God gave up for us. Because in, the, in this moment in time in biblical history that we're about to get into, people were seeking the Messiah. They were seeking a savior. They were searching for a change agent that this world desperately needed. Someone to transform the very uh, sad reality that they were dealing with in their life. And then in John chapter 2, Jesus showed up. Check out this story as he began his ministry. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for the ceremonial washing, and holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Jesus' first miracle, the first thing he did as he rolled out, here comes the Messiah in the flesh, was at a wedding banquet to turn water into wine. And I know all throughout the history of our studying the Bible, so many times we ask, why, Jesus, was that your first miracle? Why did you do that? What was the point of that miracle? What was it all about? But there's something profound happening in this moment. You see, it was in this moment that Jesus was beginning his mission, beginning his ministry, rolling out the carpet that the Messiah has come. It was in this time, it, through this miracle, that Jesus was showing his purpose and our purpose through him. Our life of joy and being complete through him. What we see here is that the path towards happiness is found through purpose. And seriously, what's the point of anything in our life if we live a life with no purpose? What's the point of it? What are we going after? I fear there are too many of us that are missing out on the power of purpose in our life. We're missing out on it. Because purpose leads to true 
rest. From the beginning of time, all throughout the gospel, the Bible talks about our need of rest. And if you go back to the creation of everything that is, on the seventh day, the Bible says God rested, and then he provided that opportunity for us to rest as well. And if you look at the pattern, what leads to rest, it follows a pattern of finding our walk in purpose. And as soon as we complete the task or we finish the job, we walk this journey of purpose, then we can find true rest in him. Rest that finds satisfaction and joy and happiness that I've accomplished something, I've completed something. But I fear too often in our world and in our life, what we are chasing after is not rest. We are chasing after leisure. And in order to accomplish leisure, we need somebody else to serve us. And leisure never fully satisfies. Because it's just like that high of how great was that vacation? Or how great was that golf game today? Or whatever it may be. And it just seems like all throughout our life we chase leisure, but we never find rest. Rest, true joy in rest, is found after walking a journey of purpose. And what the Bible shows is that when you walk that journey of purpose, there you find rest. Because purpose provides a sense of something bigger than me. Something bigger than who I am. Something more significant. I am a part of a mission. I'm a part of something. You know what scares me? is we miss out on that because we live in a world that's constantly ingraining with us from elementary on that we were just here by chance. That we were just, whoa, there we are. The Bible tells us that we were created and created for a purpose. And the problem is because we then then, uh, believe that we are created by chance, then we think we have no purpose in life, that there's really nothing beyond my existence. And so why do I live? I just live to have fun. And then we miss out on the true meaning in life. And all we find ourselves is a life full of a lack of hope and despair. Because the lack of meaning in life suggests that there's no God. There's nothing beyond here. There's nothing to chase after. All we have is this, so you better enjoy it. But in the end, we all find ourselves in the exact same spot. The exact same spot. And because within all of us, we all within grained within ourselves, whether we want to believe it or not, or whether we want to own up to it or not, we all are chasing for something bigger than ourselves, some sort of God. And so since we believe we're just here by chance, then, and there really is no God, then we all substitute God with other substitute gods. The form of our leisure. How can we have a happy life? And we settle for those. Because ultimately, ingrained within us, we need to pour ourselves into something bigger than ourselves, our passion into something, a purpose, something that gives us reason to get out of bed every day. We all need that. And when we just believe it's by chance and there is really no God, then we just find other things to pour ourselves into. And let me ask you, when life hurts the most, when life beats you down, how are those substitute gods working out? How are they working out? Because everything is short-lived. Everything is short-lived. No matter what, our mortality reduces us all to the same spot in the end. We need God.
We need God. And there has to be something bigger here. There has to be a bigger, more ultimate purpose. That is what God gives to us. That's how we find our rest, our completion, our satisfaction in him. Because he gives us something bigger than ourselves. He doesn't just leave us grasping for the moon because it's been there our entire lives. Since the creation of the earth and everything that is, the moon has always existed. But we've never been able to get there. We've always been trying to achieve it and grab it and touch it and stand on it and it's just always been there perpetually teasing mankind from the beginning of the world and we've never been able to get there till 1969 and to get there it took a sense of purpose and, and, and competition and sacrifice and it stirred something deeply within mankind this place is 238,000 miles away it just seemed like it was there but we can't obtain it that's kind of like our journey with Jesus and this idea of happiness. We look at the purpose that we all crave. We look at something that we want our lives to have, and it just seems like it's there. I can see it, but I just can't reach it. I just can't obtain it. I just can't get to it. And then came the Messiah. Then Jesus came. And you see, my friends, looking at who he is, we discover who we are. We discover what I'm all about, why I exist. And the first miracle that we read just a moment ago, Jesus ushered in the reality of who he is at this wedding feast by turning water into wine. They've been waiting for this Messiah to come for hundreds of years. And he always shows up in the unlikely of places where we think he's going to show up. He's like, nah, hold on a minute. I'll show up over here where you're not even expecting me. And every time a new leader comes to the forefront, every time a new leader takes their role to lead, the, the first thing a new leader always does is kind of set the stage, send a message of who they are, what they're all about, and what they're about to do. And Jesus is the exact same thing. Every leader does it. And here Jesus is setting the stage, rolling out the carpet, revealing who he is, what he's all about, and what his kingdom is about to bring. You see, Jesus was sending a message that the Messiah is here. The Messiah has come. And Jesus showed up in a situation where they were running low on something to send the message of who he was and what he was all about, what he was bringing to this world. And I fear, my friends, that we are tragically so many times on this earth running low on purpose. We're trying to figure out why do I exist? Why am I here? What's going on in my life? And when we run low on something, we just what? We get into panic mode, don't we? I mean, you don't believe me? When you go out to lunch today and you get those French fries, and all of a sudden you find out the jar of ketchup's almost low, you start to panic, right? Because French fries need that. When you go to the bathroom and all of a sudden you realize the toilet paper's running out, you begin to panic. And some of you guys, when you're driving down the road and you see your gas tank light come on, so you have 20 miles, you begin to panic. Or some of you guys, I know who you are. You, you, it's a challenge. I'm gonna make this 20 miles become 40 miles. You watch. Yeah, I know who you are. But when we run low on purpose, we panic. 
And I fear too many of us are living lives in panic because we don't realize our purpose and who we are in him, that the Messiah has come. What do you do when you run low on panic or when you run low on purpose? I think we need to look towards Jesus. We need to look towards him. The entire world and every one of us is constantly trying to find ourselves. And Jesus, throughout his gospels, tells us to lose ourselves to find who we are in him. That's what he, Jesus said. And looking at who he is, that's when we truly discover who we are. You know, looking at this miracle, Wine was a significant thing. Because in the Bible, wine had two purposes. First the purpose of wine that we see throughout the scripture was for medicine. That was their neosporin of the day. That was their aspirin for the day. You know, we see that happen when Timothy wrote to Paul and he talked about his stomach ailments. He was told, telling him to use, drink more wine to, to cure your stomach ailments. When we see the story of the, the good Samaritan, when he went and, and helped that man on the side of the road and he went and helped him, he used wine to help with his wounds. Wine was used for healing. And also wine was used for celebration. You look at a story like the prodigal son when the son finally came home, the dad said, hey, go out and get the best wine. And at the Last Supper, Jesus was celebrating how good God had been, how good God would be as sending his own son to that cross. And through the cross, we witnessed and we saw the true power of God's healing. And then three days later, when he walked out of that tomb, we saw the power and the celebration of victory over death. The power that was, that, in that meal that was brought 238,000 miles away to the surface of the moon in 1969. You know, from the beginning of his ministry at the wedding feast all the way to the Last Supper, Jesus was sending a very, very focused and clear message I have come. The Messiah is here. And I have a wine that never runs out. I have the good stuff that never runs out. Because in this world, what the world offers, no matter how good the party is, no matter how high the high is, no matter how big the rush is, no matter how big of a deal that was in or whatever it is you closed this past week or how great you did in the game yesterday, everything runs out. Everything this world has comes to an end. You think you're an amazing person in high school and you're all cool and the greatest sports star the world has ever known? It came to an end. It comes to an end. You think you're amazing in the job that you have and the status you've gotten to? Eventually, it's going to end. Everything this world provides runs out. It's over. It dries up. The jars 
are empty. And all these circumstances do, it, whenever we achieve them, whether it's in sports or work or school or whatever it is, we get this goal and we get there and we think, boy, once I get there, it never fully satisfies because now I need to get better. I have to work harder because somebody else is on, the, on my footsteps trying to get me and knock me down. I'm about to lose it. And even in our highs, we can't sleep because of the competition. And inside of us, in, in our souls, is this neurotic and anxious, festering wound that just can't be quenched by anything this planet provides. There's no healing, no ultimate lasting celebration. Then Jesus showed up. Then Jesus came. And he said, this world's tried its best. But the jars just keep running empty. And I'm bringing the new wine. I've got a wine that lasts. I got the goods. I got the healing. I have the celebration. This is what this miracle is all about. Victory is on its way. The celebration is here. The Messiah has come. And for this miracle, he could have used any jar. He could have said, use that bowl. Use that bucket over there. But what did Jesus use? He used those six jars over in the corner that were used by uh, the Jews for the purification of themselves. You can see it throughout the Old Testament, the laws. He said, those jars that are now empty, use those. And those jars to collectively held almost 150 gallons. And so he said, fill them up. 150 gallons of water. Fill it up. And there in that moment, Jesus was highlighting something so profound. He's saying, you think you can find me in religion? Nah. It's not going to work. Moses provided the law. And all the law revealed is you will never be good enough. You will never get there. But I'm here now. I've got the goods. I've got the healing power. I provide the new wine. And I am bringing a kingdom of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And truth. And Jesus got to the point, and he was saying, Listen, I got something better for you. But you know, in order for Jesus to get there, he had to be invited. And this text tells us that he was invited. You see, my friends, Jesus comes where he is invited. And here's the shocking epiphany that we all overlook Jesus goes where he's wanted. And he doesn't go where he's not wanted. Where he is welcomed, he is there. And in our lives, I think we so often, we're looking at other people and we're saying, boy, look how God's working in their life. Look what God's doing for them. Look how God's showing up for them. Where's God in my life? What's God doing for me? And then we, we just allow spiritually just, just jealousy to set in. Like, God, you're never there for me. Like, you're there for that person or you're doing for them. And I think we need to ask ourselves, did we invite Jesus in? Did, he, did we welcome him into this place? Jesus comes where he's invited. And I think before we start our day, even when we think, I've got this, it's a normal day, I can take care of myself, 
Start our day by, God, I need you. I need you. I'm inviting you in to be with me this day where I'm work, in my home, in my family, at school, at wherever it may be, I am inviting you in, lead me. Jesus comes where he's welcomed and he was invited on that wedding day and it gave him that opportunity. I just fear so often our lives just orbit around all the other stuff, all the other stuff, our work, our grades, our kids' sports activities, um, you know, our hobbies, the mighty dollar, how much more money can we make? Our lives just orbit around all this stuff and all these things, they, they had their place, they had their time. But our lives should really be orbiting around Jesus and who he is and what he's done in our life. Jesus' entire ministry can be characterized into three words. Eating and drinking. Luke 7, 34 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of a tax collector and sinners. The world all saying, look, this guy's a fool. He's not doing anything. He's wasting his time. He's just there eating up and enjoying life and hanging out with these awful people. But his whole life, his whole ministry can pretty much be summed up in those three words. Jesus spent so much of his ministry around the table. His kingdom advanced around the table. My friends, the world is changed around the table. We orbit our lives around so many other things that we miss the opportunity that's right in front of us around the table. The table changes the world. The opportunity just to slow down and be in relationship with those around you and with God himself. And for Jesus, this miracle, they were around their table. That's when the problem arose. They were running low on wine and they were looking for someone to help. And we get a glimpse in this moment that Jesus is the problem solver. He is the true problem solver in this world. At the wedding banquet, they were running low on wine and that was a significant, significant problem. In that day and age, a wedding banquet feast was a week-long ordeal because they highly valued the marriage covenant and what it stood for and they, and they, and they saw this as a huge opportunity to celebrate and focus on God. And running out of wine or anything else was a huge embarrassment and a big no-no. And this was like, whoa, this was a big moment of humiliation and, and desperation. And Jesus took the moment, took, took the step to, at this moment to solve the problem of the social embarrassment and the humili humiliation that this couple was about to experience. He is solving the problem and he has promised to be a problem solver in your life as well. If you doubt that, why don't you look up in the nice guy and check out the moon. Have you seen the moon last night? It was beautiful, it was massive. And the Bible says that the moon is our opportunity to see God's faithfulness. Look at Psalm 80, 89. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. You doubt God? You think God still cannot be a promise keeper in your life, a, solving problem, a problem solver in your life? Look up in the night sky and see the moon and may that be a constant witness. God is faithful 
and he will be faithful in your life as well. And because he's a problem solver, Jesus provides a template for what to do when we face a crisis. What to do. You know, through this miracle, he gave the step-by-step. When a crisis comes in your life, because we all face crises in our life at different levels, when that happens, here's what you do. We bring the problem to Jesus. We come to him. When they were out of wine, who did they run to? Jesus. But here's the hard part. We tend to run to Jesus, but we overlook the next part. Whatever Jesus tells us to do, do it. Do it. I think sometimes in our life, we really wrestle. We read the Bible and we say, hey, that sounds great. You know, just kind of follow this. It just doesn't make sense. And I think we have a tendency to say, that's not going to work. That's just not going to work. And can I just encourage you to do what Jesus says to do? Resist the tendency to say, it won't work. Resist the tendency to not trust God enough. I look at those people. I, they, they, thought, they, they had to think that this man, Jesus, was out of his, off his rocker. We're out of wine. Where can we go find wine? Go put water in those buckets, in those, in those pots. I don't have time. That takes time. Uh, that's 150 gallons of water. We have to go back and forth and fill that up. You know how long that's going to take? We need wine now. We'll just go do that. That doesn't make sense. They don't need water. They need wine. Do you, do you understand the word that's coming out of my mouth? You know, we treat God like that so often, don't we? Jesus, it doesn't make sense. It's not going to work. And he's just sitting there saying, will you just trust me and do it? Follow my word. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just trust me and walk with me. Do it. And then he comes through. And Jesus is showing us how to get to greatness. Verse 9 of the story says, And the master of the banquet tasted the water he had been, that had been turned into wine. And he didn't realize where it had come from. That the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and went on the story. You see what we see here? Greatness is found in servanthood. The heart of a servant is a path towards greatness. The master of the ceremonies missed it. He had no idea how did this happen. He thought, boy, you guys have just been saving this in the back closet. He had no idea. And I think so often we get so focused on getting ourselves ahead on the world's standards that we miss how God is working all around us. But look at the words there. I love those words. The servants knew. <laughs> There's something powerful in those words. Because the heart of the servant that is connected to Christ, you get it, you see it, you understand it, and he's having you play a part in it. Isn't that beautiful? They had a part to play in this miracle, in what God was doing. They knew. Because in this moment, Jesus is giving a glimpse of his glory. He's given a glimpse of who he is and what he's all about. In verse 11 of the story, he says, what Jesus did here in Canaan, Galilee, was the first of the signs 
through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. He didn't call all the disciples yet. He was just beginning his ministry. He only had a handful of disciples at this point. And they were still at this moment. Is this guy really legit? Is he who he says he is? Is he worth leaving everything we know to walk with? I don't know. And then in this moment, in verse 11, they're like, he's legit. This guy's the Messiah. He is for real. We believe. We believe. The disciples in this moment took that step. They saw the glimpse into who Jesus was and fully realizing who this Messiah is and the kingdom that he was ushering in on that day. The wedding feast, then this moment is just a glimpse and a foreshadowing of what is to come. Jesus was foreshadowing, the Messiah is here, I'm rolling out my kingdom, and eventually I'm going to give up my life for you because the wedding feast is coming. There's a huge day of celebration on the way. And he foreshadowed that at the very beginning there. And the Bible shares that there's a new Jerusalem that's going to be coming down from heaven, adorned uh, as a bride for her groom. And the Bible reveals what that wedding feast is going to even look like if you go back and read Isaiah 25 at some point this week. What Jesus is highlighting here and what we see throughout the scriptures is that in the end, the party will continue. There's a party on the way. And the Bible shows us that we have an opportunity to share in his glory. And we have an opportunity to be a part as a servant to provide the way to that new wedding feast. That through him we can share in that celebration. In Matthew 22, Jesus said, to the, said that the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet. Kind of like what he was sitting around at that moment. And he said in Matthew 22 that the king arranged for his son and the wedding feast and they invited all these guests. But all the guests refused to come to the wedding banquet. And they were there. And then he said to his servants, you know, the banquet is ready. But those I, did not, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. You see, this wedding banquet that Jesus kind of began to foreshadow and prepare us for in John chapter 2, he's saying, you have a purpose. You have a purpose, my friends. You have a purpose in this wedding banquet. You have a purpose in this feast. Who will you bring with you? Who will you invite? Invite everybody you can. I mean, think about it. In your life, in your line of sight, Jesus is telling you, you have a part to play in this. Who are you inviting? Look at the empty chairs that exist next to you right now. Who in your mind can be sitting in that seat with you next week that you are inviting to the party? that you are inviting to the celebration. And we think, no, God, you can't use me. It doesn't make sense. I'm not the right person. I I can't go to my friends. I can't go to my neighbors. I can't go to these people and invite them. It's It's just awkward. I don't have the right stuff to do that. 
I don't have the ability to do that. And then in so doing, all we do is we kind of lower the power and the ability of what God wants to bring into your life and work through your life. Did you see in the beginning of this miracle in John chapter 2, when this wedding feast took place, Jesus was highlighting something so amazing. The reality of his power that we have with him. Did you catch it? It says, on the third day, this wedding feast took place. Does that sound familiar to anybody? On the third day, this wedding feast took place. Jesus, in that moment, was highlighting so important. This wedding feast is being rolled out. And there's power in this third day because that third day represented what was happening in three and a half years from that point when Jesus not only defeated death, but he walked out of that tomb. And he's saying, my friends, you are not going alone. You have purpose in your life because I created you, I died for you, and through my death, my victory over death, I give you the power. Stop saying you can't and just trust me enough to do. You have a purpose and a role to play in their celebration of all celebrations, in the wedding feast of all wedding feasts. Who will you bring with you? You know, the Saturn V was a pretty powerful rocket. 200 and, or 180 million horsepower of amazingness. But it was nothing compared to the power of that third day. Nothing compared to the reality of the Son of God walking out of that tomb, defeating death, and saying, who will come with me? Who will you bring with you to the party? Who will you bring?